But when you're in the situation and you're in those emotions, then it feels uh, like a reasonable reaction. I've definitely been in situations like that where I've gotten so angry that I'm like right away looking at a way to vent. So you're like, yeah. where can I uh, uh, write a horrible review? Where can I let other people know about my anger towards this terrible brand that gave me this horrible experience? Welcome to No Hacks Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to letting smart people talk to you about better online experiences. This is another episode done as part of our partnership with Experimentation Elite. And for those of you who do not know, Experimentation Elite is the UK's premier experimentation and conversion rate optimization event happening in London on December 7th. So if you haven't done it already, head over to experimentationelite.com and get your ticket today. I hear they're selling really fast. My guest today will be a keynote speaker, closing keynote speaker at the event. He's a regular keynote speaker, CRO probe with 15 years of experience, author of landing page optimization CXL course. One of the most passionate and enthusiastic people in the CRO industry is what I heard. <laughs> Michael Agard, welcome to the podcast. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Pleasure being here. Thanks for inviting me on. So you have been in the field for 15 years now. and That means you, you've done a lot of different things. As an icebreaker question, what is the one thing you're not good at in the CRO field? Oh, I don't know any code at all. I wish I could code. That would be if why? I could why, have, do, like, why do you say so? Oh, because do I think I, it's I, necessary. I, I, I'm not sure it's necessary, but it would make life a, a lot easier for me because I'm a, mainly a solo consultant. So if I were able to code, it would just open up a lot of doors as far as just uh, a small thing as coding experiments and doing Q&A and stuff. But, but it's just, it's, it's the foundation of everything we do, essentially code. So I, I wish I knew it better. If I could have that matrix moment where I know Kung Fu, it would be like, I know code, but I don't have time. I don't have time to learn it properly. That is a very interesting, I, I did not expect to hear this. It's, it's always, it's one of the big things you run into as far as bottlenecks is you always need dev help and, or not always, but to, to code proper experiments and so on to get things implemented, you need people to be, to, to code it. And that's often a, a big bottleneck I see is getting prioritized in, with the devs. So if I that's, could a, that's a good point. Even with, I do CRO, that's mm -hmm. my consultancy, my thing, growth marketing, mm -hmm. but I started as a web developer. So for me, oh. it's not that part, it's the other side. I need more experience, experimentation, like large scale experimentation, setting yeah. up programs, growing programs. But yeah, I can see why the coding, especially JavaScript, I mean, that, that's really yeah. what the code is these days, yeah. for us at least, working on the internet. But yeah, that's, CXL doesn't have any JavaScript courses. I don't think they do, yeah. yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> so tell me about Experimentation Elite. Have you ever been to, to one of their events in the past? I unfortunately haven't. I'm looking forward to attending for multiple different reasons. A, it'll be fun to be there and be part of the event. I've only heard good things about it. And there's some, a great speaker lineup and a lot of uh, friends in the lineup and in the audience. So it'll be nice catching up with folks. And then, of course, I'm looking forward to doing my, to doing my talk. It's, it's a new one I've been working on for a long time. So it'll be nice to, to get out and on the stages and do it live. I'm sure that'll be fascinating. And yes, I've heard, I haven't been either, but I've heard incredible things about in general, CRO community is very close. If you go on LinkedIn, it, it's a few hundreds, maybe a few thousand yeah. globally that are just the entire community, the active part at least. Yeah, I think historically anyways, we've it's always been a community that's been pretty open to sharing experience and, and ideas, which I think is really nice. There's not 
yeah, people are pretty open, I find, which is also cool as far as going to events and stuff, because people are pretty excited to share what their knowledge and, and what they've learned and so on, which is nice. Absolutely. And we're not going to give away too much of your talk, but it is the science and psychology of disappointment. And that is a very intriguing title. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so without giving away way too much, what can you tell me about that, about the session? It's a talk, it's why I've been researching this for a long time. I actually started working on this one, this talk, I think it was like 2018. COVID came along, which slowed it down, but also just because it's a huge topic, fascinating topic. But um, so it turn, turns out that uh, when, when you dig into the uh, scientific literature and, and the psychological studies and so on, uh, it turns out that disappointment is, is, is an absolutely foundational like, human emotion. And it, it's not just an emotion, it's also actually part of our physiology, our neuro, neurology. So it's a foundational aspect involved in many different processes for how we interact with and, and adapt to the world around us, which is somewhat unexpected because I think all of us intuitively know Disappointment is not a, a good thing. If someone describes something as being disappointing, right away it's negative. There's, you know, and, and we know intuitively that it's painful, but I don't think we spend much time thinking more about it than that. So I'm unpacking it. I've done a bunch of original research myself, and then I've spent a long time digging into the, to the science and psychology around it, the, the neuroscience. And the, one of the interesting things I find is that there is no collective body of work on the topic of uh, disappointment, but you'll find it in many different uh, areas. So you might dig into behavioral uh, uh, economics, for example, and then you find it there as this sub set of, of, of a different study. So I've done, in a way, a big meta study and put it all together. So I'll be talking about that, how it affects how we feel and how we behave, specifically in online uh, situations, of course. And uh, I'll, I'll share some different uh, behavioral consequences. Uh, one, cognitive bias that I, I think will be new for a lot of folks. And then I'll get into some practical stuff about how you can do qualitative research to understand essentially to do an expectation gap analysis where you can figure out if you are potentially letting down uh, your users and customers and also just some general advice around how to avoid uh, disappointing people and uh, not least what to do when you inevitably end up disappointing. Right, and this is mostly online experience and, and mostly websites, I would assume, because that's what's... Yeah, the psychology and the foundational neuro, neuroscience uh, applies broadly. Uh, uh, but I'm going to put it into a, uh, an online context here to make it uh, relevant for the audience. That sounds fascinating, and especially recovering from disappointing the user. Yeah. That's probably the most interesting part. It is a very interesting part, for sure, and it's one of those places where you have a hidden opportunity to make someone a loyal customer. Um, mm. If you don't drop the ball, like if you, if you disappoint someone and you don't, uh, take it seriously and don't follow up on it, then you've made an enemy <laughs> for life probably. Absolutely. But if, if you do pay, uh, take it seriously and you do give them conversation and, and so on, then you can actually turn them into a, a loyal customer. And that, that aspect in itself is an interesting behavioral consequence of disappointment is one of the things that it, it, it leads to is essentially distrust that the, it, it hurts your source credibility, whatever the source of the disappointment is, you have a tendency not to trust that and be, be wary of it afterwards. So de depending on, on the impact of the disappointment, you can very quickly make enemies and go essentially from brand loyalty to brand spite, where you're actively out to hurt the brand because you've experienced the emotional pain of that letdown. That's, That's probably even easier with the social media, with the echo chambers, with, with like everything being enhanced quickly or, or more oh, faster yeah. than before. 
Oh, definitely. But also, I, I think most of us have had an experience where you go into rage mode uh, because of a disappointing experience. And if you saw that, if you saw that as a third party looking in, objective, you, you, you're like, that's a pretty crazy reaction to have. But when you're in the situation, you're in those emotions, then it feels uh, like a reasonable reaction. I've definitely been in situations like that where I've gotten so angry that I'm like right away looking at a way to, to vent. So you're like, yeah. where can I, I, I write a horrible review? Where can, I let, where can I let other people know about my anger towards this terrible brand that gave me this horrible experience? It happens daily. And that's parenting is very similar to, to, to that exact situation. Like, why are they, why are they doing this? I, I, I'm mad right now. In the end, at the end of the day, someone else is going through something and you need to understand that situation is probably objectively not as bad as it seems to you. So, oh, yeah. I have an 11-month-old daughter and okay. yeah, she certainly learned, taught me a lot about patience because, yeah, it doesn't really serve much of a purpose to lose it. Uh, kids test your, pa uh, your patience, but you just have to be able to take it cool and calm. So it's an interesting exercise in Zen. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a daily exercise, exactly. So oh, yeah. We're not going to give away a, a lot more from the mm -hmm. session because the people who go there need to hear it first. Mm -hmm. that, that's how it works. I'll just say again, Experimentation Lead, December 7th. Go to experimentationlead.com, get your ticket today and see Michael talk about disappointment on stage as a closing keynote speaker of the event. Now let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something similar, psychology in conversion rate optimization. It, it's a bit broader. Obviously, psychology is one of the most important things. That, I mean, if you have psychology on one end, there's experimentation, like just testing, testing on the other end. So what aspects of, of psychology are the ones that matter in conversion rate optimization? Oh, I think there's a lot of different ones, but one that I like to talk about that I think is really important that maybe doesn't get enough credit is confirmation bias. So that's, I, I mean it mainly, that is something we as CROs or experimenters have to be aware of. Confirmation bias, the tendency to agree with information that you agree with essentially, or to accept information you agree with as the truth without really questioning it and to reject information you don't agree with and put that under scrutiny. For example, uh, you have, you're running a split test and it's not turning out the way you want it to. And suddenly you're like, there must be a bug here. There must be, yeah, we should really, we should stop it. We should just make sure that everything is running the way it should. The other way around, if the experiment is going the way you expected it, you're liable to, there's no problems here. It's, this could not be because of a bug. It's running fine and so on. Some of, the, some of those nuances there, or also the same thing if you're doing research. There's, there, there's obviously a tendency that you can put your own bias in there as far as what, your, what you think the situation is, what the users are thinking and so on. And then if you're not careful, then you can become quite biased in the way you analyze the, the data at hand. But that's something you're never going to be able to completely throw out of the way. No, no, no. always no. going to be biased. There always is going to be. Oh, for sure. But be, being aware of it and reminding yourself uh, daily, I think, is, is important. And questioning, I, just essentially, when there's some information you take at face value and you're like, yep, of course, then that's an opportunity maybe to stop and go, hey, should I ask more questions here? Or if there's something you reject, right away. No, that's not true. And then there's maybe an opportunity to stop up and go, I wonder why I'm just like rejecting this straight away without giving it more thought. So I, I think it's just one of those things, confirmation bias, it's, it's you should have it in the, in the bathroom mirror in the morning before you go to work. 
or something like on your computer monitor to be like just a reminder am i thinking clearly about this and i think especially in in the industry we're in because a lot of it revolves around winning or whatever delivering results so there's a lot of pressure on you to be right so it, it it takes effort and it takes practice to be able to essentially stand up to yourself and be like actually this might not be the case even though you're really trying to will it in that right. direction so start your day by asking what if i'm wrong just just yeah essentially. every morning and and it, yes it, it, essentially but but then i think there's uh, as far as building better experiments and hypotheses and all that stuff I, there's some of the foundational stuff that that to me anyways when i read that years ago was very helpful and, and very insightful it just Everybody talks about the Daniel Kahneman, but for good reason. There's some foundational work there as far as mm. system one and two and uh, intuitive versus analytical thinking, I think was very inspirational for me. And I th especially like the Wiesiati principle, what, what is all there is. Oh, yeah. I okay. thought that one, that one was a real aha moment for me in, in, in the sense that what, whatever you're experiencing in that moment emotions go into that of course whatever your experience is in that moment is the truth and that's all there is right and i i, th I think as people who create uh, essentially experiences for others you have to respect that and you have to understand <laughs> what that feels like so from the outside we're very analytical about building everything but that's not necessarily uh, the experience that the, the person going through the experience and, and that is principle applies perfectly to landing pages right yeah. and if it's not there and not just if it's not there if it's not perfectly clear and visible mm -hmm. maybe it's not yeah. even there basically oh definitely but also talk about uh, dark patterns and stuff mm. it's i think the wisiazzi principle applies there because even if if you're not deliberately uh, creating a dark pattern if the user has that impression well, then for them, it's a dark pattern and they're, and, and they're going to judge you for it. I think that one is a, is, a, is a really important one. It's back to disappointment, right? Back to disappointment. Yeah, exactly. But I, I just, and, and then I, I don't know, even know if that's a psychological principle, but along the same thread of always trying to put yourself in, in someone else's shoes, I think it's important. I think it's, it's important in life, but especially in the work we do is what is this, what does this look like? From, from and, and avoiding dark patterns intentionally or non-intentionally. I think that is very important thing to do if you go for dark patterns i don't people do that like there are mm -hmm. websites that just exploit dark patterns that's basically and i've been reading about this last few weeks and not researching at a very high level but from propaganda political propaganda to dark mm -hmm. patterns like there's basically no difference between those two sure. I, i've been i wrote so many prompts to chat gpt to compare cro to soviet propaganda <laughs> and the responses were so mind-blowing that you don't know which one it's talking about. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, that, and this is where psychology comes into play. Strong leaders, authority figures, the white lab coat principle, all that stuff. Like, it's all the same. Just repeat the message as much as you can. Propaganda or zero or whatever it is. So <laughs> being careful with those, I think, is really important. One more thing I want to talk to you about is your public speaking Mm -hmm. Let's call it a career because it is a career, basically. And, and how did you get into that? When did you get into that? How, how did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Because I assume it wasn't from day one. I always wanted to be a rock star, but that okay. never worked out. So I'm a speaker Next best thing. because I get to go on stage. No, no, I think it was just part of, like you said in the beginning, I, I've been doing this for a long time, for 15 years. So I was, I was doing this before. There was a ton of blogs and courses and books and everything on it. 
so uh, early on i started i don't have a blog now anymore but early on i i started sharing a lot because i got into experimentation and so on and i just found it really interesting to share all the stuff i was learning and and doing and then that kind of led to some different speaking opportunities just people asking me if i wanted to go uh, to different events and talk and I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed I, I enjoyed the whole thing of putting together a, a talk and getting on stage and, and sharing with others and th- building those relationships and also feeling like I could help others with what I, I'd learned. So I went from there and then it just became, there was, for a while, it was also a strategy as far as my career that I just, I could see that the more I could get out and speak in, in, in different countries and at different events, the more face time I would have with, with the more exposure I'd have essentially. So that was part of my strategy for a while. As long as they pay my expenses, I'd, I'd show up. So I've, I've spoken in 16 different countries, I think. Oh, wow. Gone all over the place. And then it, it became more and more serious. And I started to um, uh, focus more on how to craft uh, a good presentation. In the beginning, it was just a bunch of examples and some principles. And then I started getting more into, okay, how do I actually build a storyline? And how do I structure it properly? And... How do I get some emotional hooks in there? And how do I how do I improve my delivery and such? In the beginning, I was speaking very fast and just running around on stage. And I could see in the f- speaker feedback that that was a bit too much and so on. So learning to, to slow down a bit and stuff like that, learning to control a bit of my nervous energy and stuff like that. So it just became to me like a fascinating journey, which, which will never end. I'm always learning and I'm always trying to improve, become a better speaker and presenter. But it's, yeah, it's just a fascinating thing. And it's, it's an interesting way to, to push yourself personally and professionally, because you, if you have 30 minutes to really present something that you want to be mem- memorable and useful and practical and entertaining, it's a daunting task. So it's yeah, definitely it's good exercise. And as someone who just started doing this after 15 years mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. online, as a developer, a CRO mm-hmm. person, I'm the one who speaks fast right now. I'm, I'm just trying to slow it down. I, I know exactly what you mean there because you go, you climb the stage and you just start talking and you know you should slow down, but you can't. Like it's just faster and faster. So is it just practice or I- I- is there something else? Well, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different com- components in that, but one of them is, is exposure therapy, <laughs> the more yeah. you do it. But, but another thing is, I guess, making the decision that you want to learn and improve and everybody's different. It depends on what your ambition is and what your personality is. But um, I, I think part of that is, is actually being, being curious about how, how can I make this better? How can I improve? And then I think the same way, my, my approach is similar to how I do conversion optimization. I, I'm, I'm interested in feedback. I'm interested in, in understanding how what it feels like from the audience perspective so for example reading speaker feedback and so or audience feedback and understanding like oh okay people love the energy and so on but i'm actually hurting my presentation a bit because i'm right running back on back and forth on stage like a maniac so people are getting are exhausted looking at me and stuff little tweaks like that but as specifically to what you are talking about going on stage and then things just start to happen that's that's a very common thing where it's part of, of being nervous and excited and having some, some anxiety around going on stage and stuff where you essentially, you go into autopilot mode. It's essentially fight or flight, survival mode. And then everything just happens. And then when you get off stage, you're like, whoa, that went fast. And so it's about learning how to, to get a bit more control essentially over your nervous system because then you can uh, create a better presentation, a better experience for the audience. And it'll also be more fun for you because you can actually be more present and enjoy it. 
Mm. And part of that is basic stuff like before you go on stage, instead of just being in the moment and then getting really uh, anxious or excited, uh, practicing stuff like intentional deep breathing, uh, uh, for example, or uh, having what I do is I always have my intro. I have my whole talk planned out, but I have a very specific intro and I, I go over that in my head. So I, I do mm. intentional breathing. I try to move a bit slowly back and forth. And then instead of letting my mind go everywhere, I'm just going, repeating my intro in my head before. And then when I walk on stage, I take a breath and then I try to walk deliberately to the center of the stage and then I stand mm. there for a second. Then I start talking. So it's about regaining control. Not that you want to be boring. You want to use that nervous energy, but most of us don't need to be more nervous or excited. We need to dial it back a little bit. And then one thing is also that for most people I talk to, for myself included, it's the first minute or two on stage that are the worst. You need to get through that and then you find your pace. So the more you can practice being calm in the beginning, uh, the better. And then one tip is to have little points uh, throughout the talk where you know I can take a little break here. And to you, for you, it might feel like a long time, but taking a five second break just to catch your breath and be like, okay, so maybe it's like this slide or this transition is where I just stand there for a second and then I keep talking because then you have these slow down spots throughout throughout the talk. So the fight or flight description was shockingly accurate. (laughs) It is exactly how it feels. And that is, that's where it's gold, all this advice. Yeah, uh, but on on that, it's, it's I love that topic. But essentially, what's happening is the human stress response, right? You're getting ready for a tough situation, right? Something that is basically life threatening or or difficult, and you're getting ready to to face that challenge or run away from it. And the human stress response is generic, so it, it's the same reaction whether you're running from a grizzly bear or you're trying to get on stage. There's different degrees, of course, of it, but all the physical things, all the physiological things that are happening to you are exactly the same. Elevated uh, heart rate, uh, fast breathing, inhaling a lot to, to oxygen to your muscles so you can run and stuff like that. Dry mouth, like it's right. shutting down all the luxurious features you don't need and so on. So pra- that's, practice with bears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that's why it feels so powerful, right? Because you can be in that situation and your psychology doesn't work for, for real-time stress management. Telling yourself, right. don't be nervous, you got this, doesn't work, it just no. makes it worse. So you have to find a way of hacking your system, essentially. That is fascinating. That is super, super interesting. Before we close the episode, what is one thing I should have asked you today, but I didn't? This is a new segment that I'm adding. Yeah. Uh, what is something you should have asked me, but you didn't? Oh, yep. phew, that, that's about that, psychology that, that. in zero. That, oh my god that's such or a public question. speaking yeah or about speaking um okay so what's my number one tip as far as putting become a good speaker or putting together a presentation that the audiences will love my number one thank you for asking my number one tip there would be it, it sounds lame but put the audience first i think when you often when we put together a presentation we're very much thinking about ourselves and what we want to present and like what we will get out of presenting and yeah stuff like that but switching it over and and thinking like okay so how do i actually make something that's going to be useful entertaining and memorable for the audience and also just even with just designing a slide and so on is okay so how will the audience perceive this can they even read the slide for example or Am I making this point for my sake or for their sake? Am I telling this joke because I think it's hilarious or do I think it's going to actually help me tell the story better so that they will have a better experience? 
Great advice. Great question. What else to say? <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I want to thank you. I, I know that session uh, in London is going to be absolutely amazing, uh, and I cannot wait to, to read more about it since I will not be there. But for people who want to follow you, connect with you, what is the best way to get in touch? LinkedIn these days, I'd say. Yeah, LinkedIn. Link in the think, description yeah, in, yeah. in episode. Reach out on LinkedIn. Yep, for sure. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. Have a great day to everyone listening. Thank you for staying with us. Please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing the episode. And I will talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.